Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, I introduce you to a relatively new friend of mine. We get to know the liberty-minded Laura Black, coming up next. First, have you ordered your American Pride Roasters coffee yet? Did you know that July 4th is not only the birthday of our nation, but in 1872, it was the birthday of America's 30th president, Calvin Coolidge. And this month, APR Coffee is celebrating the life of Silent Cal and the blend that first made me a fan of APR Coffee in general. I seriously fell in love with the Calvin Coolidge blend, not because it's named after my favorite American president ever, but because of how great it tastes. Remember, I was regularly buying APR Coffee long before they became the inaugural sponsor of this podcast. Do yourself a favor, try the Coolidge blend. It features a perfect mix of both light and dark roasts, which give it a nuanced, smooth attribute and also subtle boldness. This coffee will give you the boost that you need to, quote, do the day's work, as Coolidge would say. Right now, Silent Cal's three-pound box follows in the spirit of his plan to lessen the financial burdens on fellow Americans. It's on sale for $40 right now. And if you use promo code ATM, that stands for at the mic, you'll get 10% off your purchase. Head over to aprcoffee.com and use promo code ATM. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Laura Black is my guest this week on At The Mic. Laura appreciates America, what it represents, and after living overseas, she appreciates it even more. She and I sat down recently to discuss her life, the great Patrick Henry, and she enlightened me about an iconic TV couple. There's a big fact that I never knew, but today I learned about it on At The Mic. I really don't know how to describe you other than I know you from Twitter and I met you five minutes ago. So, And you were here early, by the way. I appreciate that. It's, um, it is the antithesis of my typical behavior. Um, wow. I like... It's too I, big of a word for this podcast. Well, you know, every now and then I like to sound like I'm smarter than I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> um, it makes people take you seriously. Does it? <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm told. Okay. So they say that the, being late to things is a trait of optimists because oh. you think that you have more time than you actually do. Huh. And so you kind of laze about when you're getting ready and doing things. And so ultimately you end up showing up late. And that is any person that you talk to who knows me, who has had to have me show up to a thing will tell you. Oh, Laura's always late. Always. So you're an optimist. Um, mm -hmm, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, okay. Cause, uh, it's probably ill-advised. That's but... why I'm on time everywhere I go, because <laughs> I am not. Because you're a pessimist. Oh, absolutely. Or a realist. Definitely that's a real also... Well, no, that's a good segue, because realism is exactly where I live. Yeah. And, and I think you do, too. Yes. Based on the way that I first knew who you were, and I don't know how I found this tweet of yours, but it is pinned to the top of your Twitter profile, which mm -hmm. is at fancy this. Yes. Good. That's a really great <laughs> Twitter handle. I'm surprised it wasn't taken. Uh, How yeah. long have you been on Twitter? So I actually joined Twitter right when it started. Okay. Okay. That's how you got it. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't start becoming active until actually after Trump was elected, mm. but I was, I started peeking at it a little bit more because I was so tired of social media where I knew people in real life because um, as politics became more and more tribal, um, friends and family members became more and more vocal about their positions on things. And I was like, oh, you're stupid. I, seriously, <laughs> I, I have, yes, I've been there and I've, <laughs> I've lost people in my life just based on stupid. Stupid arguments. Yeah. But the tweet that caught my attention that I I often go back to it. Yeah. Just it's so great. And you tweeted in January of 2020. Yeah. Just as the pandemic was really taking root around the world, there might have been a handful of cases in the US and there were I don't believe at that point any lockdowns, maybe Washington State. I don't I don't know. I don't think I think you were so far ahead of the curve on this. The tweet was just a friendly neighborhood reminder that the government's favorite activity is to use fear 
to strip rights. Yeah. That that may be the greatest tweet of all time, Laura. <laughs> because it was so prescient. Look at what happened to yeah. our nation since then. January of 2020, you tweeted that out. And oh my gosh, has that come to fruition? Yeah, I I have spent a life where I've had something of a front row seat to just government organizations in general. Um, and so that has been a theme that I have noticed over the course of time. And even if you, I mean, if you pay attention at all to our own history, mm -hmm. a lot of the behavior that our government has engaged in has been a little heavy handed. Yeah. Just a scotch, just yeah. a touch. Okay. So I just, I saw, especially with COVID, I felt like here's an opportunity for them to really ride this wave of fear and see how far they can push the line of obedience. Mm. Um, and just kind of compliance, because I feel like, you know, left, right, center, every politician is looking for power. So this is an opportunity to figure out, okay, how much have we been able to propagandize people? How far can we push this? Mm. And It's been fun to see, huh? Year oh and a half gosh. later. Well, it's disheartening for me because I thought, you know, I'm from the East Coast. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, the coasts are for sure going to comply with all of this stuff <laughs> because, you know, they've bought into <clears throat> the lie that the government has their best interests at heart and coastal folks are a little, you know, left of center hmm. and left of center folks. Really? have They have a tendency to be a little bit more like pro-community, but they don't think about actually how the government negatively infringes on that ideology. Right. Um, and the government will use that twist of a positive idea to benefit itself. And so I knew that coastal people were going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, we should be afraid of COVID and mm -hmm. mask up and yeah. don't ask questions and comply. But the, the writing was on the wall, that's for yeah. sure. And here we are, yeah. uh, you know, a year and a half later, and it's uh, that's fun. So <laughs> you just mentioned you're from the East Coast, born yes. and raised in Delaware, correct? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you... It, it does exist. It does exist. I get touchy about this on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> uh, so Delaware's got Rhode Island to kick around at least. Well, barely. <laughs> I mean, because Rhode Island, you know, it's part of New England, so right. like... You know, they got like so, people backing oh, them up. I see. They're part of a team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Delaware's just kind of there. Yep. Well, they're always in rivalry with New Jersey. And Delaware has <laughs> the strangest border up there, the way the little half circle that was meant to adequately separate the Catholics in Maryland and the Quakers in Pennsylvania. So what you end up is this strange little curve uh -huh. for Delaware. Yeah. Is it the second smallest state? It is. It's got to be, right? Yeah. But the first state. Yeah, okay, cool. To hey, Caesar it's kind of a big deal. I will give you Caesar Rodney, <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Okay. But, but. Great founder who literally, like, on death's doorstep made it to the. Anyway, we, we could. <laughs> this is going to turn into a history show. <laughs> but, but I will say, I mean, I, I, I give respect to Delaware. Yeah. I mean, well, you're the only one. I mean, I always get a hard time about it. I mean, you got <laughs> a college with the nickname Blue Hens. Well, they're kind. They're that's also, kind of a cool. That's kind of a cool nickname, actually. Well, and also, like, it's a really cool looking bird. Hmm. It's our state are, are there blue hens? Like, are they literally blue? Or don't give me this. They got like this tint of blueness that if you really squint in the sunlight. Okay, or, this is really bad because it's like I'm. Um, I'm gonna have to Google. I'm like Delaware exists. We're a big deal. I don't know what our bird looks like. Okay. <laughs> well, that's uh, you 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 uh, now. Have a homework assignment. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look here for the class. Just what I oh that's that's gonna be. I'm gonna see here, Google Images. Um, okay, that's fake. Um, <laughs> hang on. That's see, this is dumb. A cartoon. It's gray. It's gray, and they're calling it blue. That's not. Is okay. this blue? But are you like one of these men who's um, colorblind? Okay, <laughs> don't go there. No. <laughs> My mean, wife and I do not see the same colors. That's for sure. Oh boy. Uh, so, I don't know. It's still a cool logo, even if the bird is gray. I um, guess gray hens didn't have the same ring to it. So maybe whatever. you found a picture of the female. They are less vibrant than Why males. Why is that? It's like that with cardinals. It's like because they all protect sorts of the nest. It's a 
evolutionary thing. They protect the nest, so they cannot be as vibrant. They can't stand out as much, or they would constantly be. Is that what it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because if you, I mean, even, okay, I'm sorry, my nerd bird watcher is coming out. If uh, you look at. My son is is a huge bird nerd. In fact, we got him a shirt that says, uh, or maybe it was Santa, I forget. <laughs> got him a shirt that said, I love, uh, what's the what's the study? Uh, tamale, uh, uh, what's, oh, on. I don't even know that. You don't even know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Who's got the nerd now? Let's see. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to let you tell your story here. <laughs> study of birds. Hang on. Study of birds. Boy, we're already. We are really off the rails. Ornithology. Oh, oh yeah, gosh. I that was the study of O.J. Simpson. Oh, oh but, gosh. Uh, ornithology. That's what it is. So um, I should get that for my son. He likes to, too. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like all of them, goldfinches, blue jays, like if you look at the males versus the females, huh. the females are always less vibrant in color because that's, they hang out on the nest. That's, a di- that's the opposite of like female humans well i mean we have different roles right you wear jewelry yep. and, and and fingernail polish yep. and you go and get your toes all girled up yeah the the displays are different we don't we don't have to be as mm-hmm. you know i mean technically i guess we protect the nest but mm. but 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 yet you're all but i'm at the top of the pretty up and you say look <laughs> don't come to the nest don't I, do I, it i, I don't know <laughs> No Mixed messages. I'll edit that out. <laughs> so let's see here. Uh, uh, you have okay. Wait, your math is wrong here. What? Okay, listen to this. Here's the question, y'all. <laughs> oh, no. Any siblings? If so, how many? And then you said, "Oh no, my math is wrong." <laughs> <laughs> my math is always wrong. I don't know if you know this about me. It's called Keith math. So anyhow, I was going to say girls can't do math. But three brothers, one sister. Three brothers and one sister. Okay, so five kids total. Yeah. Where do you fall as far as the birth order? <clears throat> I'm the oldest. Um, you'd think they would have stopped after me, broke the mold. Um, however, <laughs> see, normally, normally, <laughs> my guests that are only child, only children. Boy, this is. <laughs> I promise. Promise, I haven't broken this out today. <laughs> this uh, Jim Beam apple. I'm, I'm kinda, you swear. Yeah. Uh, normally, my guests that are only children mm-hmm. still doesn't feel right. Only child. They think that their parents had the perfect kid, and so they stop. Right. Which is the case for me, since I'm an only child. Ah. Uh, oh, naturally. So, but they they decided that maybe you weren't perfect, and and they just kept having kids, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so they figured out how it happened after the fifth one. Okay. What kind of gap in age is it between you and your sister? Uh, six years, actually. So okay. my parents had my myself, and then uh, just about two years later, they had my brother. And my dad was done <laughs> because Uh-oh. he's like, we got one of each. This yeah, is fine. We're good. And my mom, oh, no. who she's the second oldest of five. She was all dolled up in, in fun colors and stuff. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> she was not nest sure she was nesting and so she had to fluff up mm-hmm. why am i talking about birds anyway <laughs> you never know the direction that this podcast is gonna go we've gone from government lockdowns to uh plume colors anyway go ahead um no she wanted a third and worked really hard to convince my dad because they're six years between me and the twins um because god has a really great sense of humor oh i see where because my going. dad was oh, like no all right, find one more. And my mom was like, cool, cool, all right. And then 11 weeks into her pregnancy, my grandmother was like, wow, you're really big, which oh. is a lovely thing to say to a pregnant woman. Yeah, yeah. Don't ever hear, do that. I hear they like that. Oh, it's our favorite. <laughs> and so she went to the doctor and kind of jokingly said, uh, my mom thinks I'm having twins. And he looked at my mom and was like, well, let's find out. Oh, no. And so it was twins. So that was kid three, three and, four? and four. Yeah. So how did the fifth one happen? Well, you know, my dad always says you have three, you may as well have five. So <laughs> I think Does he? I think yeah, I think he was like whatever, what I mean whatever. And then two <laughs> years later, the baby was born. Two oh. years after the twins, but oh, well. to be you know, the, my mom was like he was the easiest baby because after twins, everything is so simple because there's only one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you got a big family. Yeah, definitely. Are y'all spread over the nation, or are they still back in Delaware? 
Um, actually, we were all spread out for a really long time, and my brother Jake just moved back from Albuquerque. Mm. Um, he's in Delaware, and my brother Ben, who was in the army, went from Kansas. They're living close to his wife's family in New Jersey now, okay. but I mean, still, they're all kind of sent like close to my parents. Yeah, kind of up there. So you're the one that escaped recently to Dallas. Yeah, yeah. So how'd you pull that off? So, I mean, it's. <laughs> We're going to go back now. So my my husband used to be a police officer. Okay. And we lived in Maryland for a while. He was a Maryland state trooper. And Bless him. Um, I don't know if you know this, but they pay them in beans and rice. Hmm. So you can't live a life on beans and rice. And he wanted to do something a little bit more um, intellectual and a little bit more sure. investigation-based. So he applied for a couple of different jobs within the federal government and landed a spot with the state department. So okay. it's based here. Um, no, that was, so I'm like taking it way back. I'm going to say like how much of this is like uh, government secrets. I'm going to have to edit out. <laughs> no, uh, not, not none of it. That started the process of us just kind of moving all over the place because his job when he's stateside, he does one thing. And when he's overseas, he runs like um, embassy security programs. So um, we lived, we've moved like seven times in seven years, basically. Oh. Um, Do you even bother to unpack <clears throat> at a certain point? I'm really good at it. Really? I'm really good at packing up and I'm really good at unpacking. <laughs> I mean, see, radio, you move around a lot and there's been places where I knew, nah, not going to be here long. Mm -hmm. And we just kept boxes just packed up and we're like, eh. Not messing with that room. It seems like those are the two modes of thought when it comes to, you know, frequent moves mm -hmm. is uh, not even bother. We there we had a neighbor when we lived overseas in Haiti who literally just had boxes all over. He was like, I'm not even unpacking because mm -hmm. oftentimes, depending on the country, when you're in embassy housing, they provide your furniture and everything like that. So if you have clothes there's no need for you to really unpack anything else in your life. So yeah, he just stayed boxed up for two years. <laughs> no, that's uh, and I can't imagine moving to an island and having to drag all of your stuff there. And we're gonna get into your Haiti ordeal. Yeah. Later on. Yeah. But and your husband's name's Luke. Yes. How many times do you get the whole Luke and Laura thing? I mean, all. The time. Really? So it's not just me because I'm old? No. Well, okay. And I know the reference to General Hospital. Right. Couple? Okay. So I, <laughs> I, my mom, I mean, this sounds so bad. My mom wasn't like a soapy or anything, but she grew up, or I grew up watching her watch Days of Our Lives, but I always ended up watching. Her stories. Mm-hmm. Mama's stories. Yeah. But then I watched General Hospital, so I knew who Luke and Laura All right. were. Yeah. But he had no clue because he grew up overseas. Okay. So when we started dating when I was 18. Oh, wow. And Yeah. And oh, Wait, hold on. I mean, now you're 29, oh, right? Oh, you're so cute. I'm 36. Okay, okay. Right. <laughs> I love when people say I'm 29. Yeah, okay. It's my favorite. <laughs> um, so he, we went out somewhere. We were like with a group of friends and somebody was like, oh my gosh, you're Luke and Laura. And he was like, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, I have to explain this to him because you know, soap operas, right. it's always, it's never just as simple as, oh, this is a, you know, a daytime TV couple. It is, no, no, no. They met because he raped her and then she fell in love with him and then they got married. Hold on, stop. Yes. And their Hold wedding on. was the most watched daytime TV episode of all time. Still is. <laughs> this is why people don't like soap operas. Just describe the scene right now. <laughs> um, Keith looks very stressed. I had no idea what kind of backstory is that? Yes, I know. I mean, I didn't watch the show. I yeah. just knew of it. It yeah. was a cultural phenomenon. It yes. was on the cover of TV Guide, yeah. every magazine. That but was... that's why. Oh, no. Because he raped her okay, and she right. fell in love with this him. Is, oh, no. <laughs> See, now you're questioning everything. I will never make another Luke and Laura reference for the rest of my life now. Well, when I told him that, he was like, you don't tell people that's how we met, do you? <laughs> no! Oh, that's... Yep, that's what happened. Our story is identical. <sighs> yeah. So you're a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a job that is very uh, tough and doesn't even pay beans uh, and rice. 
It, no, I don't even get beans and rice. Nope. It and is. How many kids do you have? Two. Two. Yeah. I love their names. Tell them for us. Uh, Marcus and Isla. Okay. Marcus is nine, and Isla is six. Very awesome. And how are you liking staying at home? And like, do you homeschool or I not, not that? Far I used into. to homeschool. Okay. Um. So. When we lived in Virginia, my son went to kindergarten there. And when we moved to Haiti, Marcus was six and in first grade. And the curriculum that his Haitian school was using was aggressive. Mm. Um, Haitians take their education very seriously. And so the school that he was going to was using an American homeschool curriculum okay. for their for their education. And he was not up to par coming out of an American kindergarten in one of the best school districts okay. in the nation. If you can afford it, even in, in any minimal way, your kid goes to huh. a good school. Okay. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Well, and a lot of times Haitian families will have, like they're, if they have family who lives in the States, those families are sending money back to their Haitian family who is still in Haiti to help provide a life for them so that's reasonable what took you guys down there was it your husband's job was it security related then? yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah so we he worked for the embassy and we lived on the embassy housing compound and and tell us what happened to y'all while you were down there so um we got down there in 2017 i want to say i think it was may of 2017 and they had just finished a, an election and so we were told you know, the worst is behind Haiti for a little while until the next next election. Uh-huh. Um, sure. We all know how that goes, right, America? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and through the course of time, I ended up only being there for a year and a half. And over the course of that year and a half, the political violence and stress and tension just kind of continually ramped up. And the ambassador will make a decision based on information you know given to her from my husband's office mm -hmm. whether an evacuation is advisable um and so we were evacuated three separate times for political violence but the last one wait so your kids were young yeah how, how does mama bear garden the nest handle all of that kind of stress um, not well. <laughs> it was, so I, after the first evac for, we were evac'd four times, but one was for a hurricane. So okay. that was like, what? okay, sure. that's natural. Like you can't, that's nothing. Uh -huh. After the first evac for political violence, I um, was very anxious about staying there. And I didn't, I yeah, I didn't feel comfortable doing things. We were limited on travel as it was anyway, because it was so tumultuous. Sure. I mean, like a lot of the protests were paid for by other people who just, other Haitians who wanted to cause a ruckus. And right. a lot of them were very peaceful. Like there were people who were outside every Thursday protesting outside of the embassy. Mm. And so that kind of stuff was stuff you just got used to. Yeah. And, you know, the embassy uh, security community were, very open about okay hey, listen this is going on right now don't travel here don't go to this don't go to the beach this weekend like that kind of stuff and so you know you kind of took those things i took those things seriously because i was already i mean the good grocery store was five miles away but it took 45 minutes to drive there because oh. cows and people and you know just all <laughs> kinds of stuff in the road if you think the roads in fort worth are a nightmare you should you should live in Haiti, huh? Yes. Tell you, us about this. You will develop an appreciation for American roads, even though, as somebody who leans libertarian, I'm always like, stop talking about the stupid roads. <laughs> it's still... What should we talk about? I mean, everybody loves their roads and their infrastructure, but it's like, guys, go to Haiti, drive on a road just once, and you're going to be like, please mm. take me back to America and all the potholes. <laughs> um, so how long were you all down there total? Um, it, his tour was a total of two years, but I was there with the kids for a year and a half. So in a year and a half, three evacuations because of civil unrest. Yeah. So the second to last one, um, was towards the end of our tour anyway. And they were saying things like, if you're within like six months of the end of your tour, we probably won't even bring you back. And I was celebrating because mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to go there anyway. 
I felt so uncomfortable. I just didn't enjoy, I, I didn't even feel comfortable going to the grocery store right. because it was like a friend of mine was talking about, they, uh, she and her husband had been there with the Peace Corps. And so they knew Haiti very well. And she was talking about a time that he was out driving and a protest just developed right in front of him. But he knew where he was going. And so he could just kind of back out and mm-hmm. drive away and there were no issues. And I'm right. like, I don't know how to do that. I'm still relying heavily on my GPS, which barely works, and like hoping that I can get somewhere at a decent, you know, out of the way if something like this happens. And I'm I'm not even guaranteed that. So I just I was very very anxious to um, to return and happy that she was saying the ambassador at the time and just kind of the information that was coming from the embassy was saying, you know, you will likely not return if you're this close to the end of our tour, and then. After probably a month and a half being stateside and anticipating that I was just going to remain stateside for the duration until my husband returned from Haiti. And this is my interpretation of what I was told. Basically, Haiti got its feelings hurt that that the embassy communities, families, we didn't trust them to keep us safe. And so our families were out of the country and because the ambassador was trying to make political moves, because in her, to her credit, she is one of the few career ambassadors in the entirety of the Foreign Service. So her mm. career is obviously very important to her, mm-hmm. more so than, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, embassy families. And so because Haiti had its feelings hurt that, you know, the, um, we didn't trust them to keep us safe. She brought everybody back against the advisement of the security team because they knew. And so two weeks after bringing us back, it was a Saturday. We were kind of all sitting out by the pool. And a girlfriend of mine was actually coming back to the States to be with her mom because her mom was going to have some surgery. And so she asked me to come to her house with her so that she could kind of go over with me she wanted me to tell like her housekeeper and and to keep her husband in track on track while she was gone and make sure he was fed and all that kind of stuff. And so we were standing in the doorway of her house and all of this gunfire popped off right outside. She lived at the front of the compound. And so all of this gunfire went off and there were three little kids that were right by the front gate. And, you know, because she, her house was right by the front gate, we could see them playing and they looked really scared and the guards, cause we weren't, it's a guarded compound. Right. And the guards were looking at us and they were like, you need to get away. And then the kids just started screaming and crying. And so my girlfriend took the one kid and ran him to his house. And then I took the two girls and, you know, took the one back to their parents, uh, to the one little girl back to her parents. And then the other one found us like in the street. And I didn't know where my kids or my husband were at this point. Because they had been at the pool, and I left them at the pool to, you know, go do this. I And our house was at the very back of the compound. So mm. I just ran back there, and I could hear my daughter screaming. And my neighbor was holding her, and she had been in the pool. Because my husband at this point had to go right. take care of all this drama. And so my neighbor was holding her, and she had been in the pool. And he's just, like, soaking wet because she's dripping all over him and screaming in his ear. And my son was crying, and... You know, is daddy going to be safe? Is daddy going to be safe? And we just kind of had to um, lay low in the houses and avoid windows and all that kind of stuff. And then we were evacuated three days later. Was that for the last time? or For the very last time. Okay. Oh, and I wouldn't have gone. I was going to say. If she brought us back, hmm. I would not have gone back at that. At that point, I didn't even want to be there to begin right. with. So to have endured something like that that you couldn't have paid me to go back. Yeah. Not after that. But your family, your parents, your siblings, I bet they really stress out when you're in a place like Haiti. Where all have you guys lived around the world? Actually, just Haiti. Okay. So um, my the particulars of my husband's job are that he can do stateside work and he can do overseas work. They're congressionally mandated to leave the country every six to eight years. It used to be six. They just increased it to eight. Leave? Like you could just go on vacation? No, no, no. Uh, go to an overseas post. Oh, boy. Um, and, and how long is that stint got to be? Just two years. You can come. Okay. I'm sorry. He could do a one-year post at a at a danger post. So like in Afghanistan, oh, I was, Pakistan. I was about to ask yeah. you. Yeah. Do you get much say in where that would be? And 
are you guys due to move overseas anytime soon? Um, so I'll answer the first question first. Okay. The State Department is a very, I'll shake your hand, you shake mine kind of organization. <laughs> so if you know the right people, you can get to the right places. Okay. My husband is a keep your head down, do your job kind of guy. He's yeah. not an elbow rubber. He's not a hand, palm greaser. And right. so um, he is good. He is efficient, but he doesn't schmooze. And so um, Haiti was what we got. <laughs> so... Oh. Um, and even and coming out of Haiti, we didn't get our first choice, despite the ambassador advocating for us mm-hmm. and despite the fact that we had just endured what we endured. We couldn't even get North Carolina. <sighs> we got Buffalo. <laughs> Go I from the see. Caribbean to snow. It was great. <laughs> so, okay. Just doing the math in my head here, which is always a dangerous feat for me. (laughs) Are you about, you know, four years away then from having to go overseas again? So after Haiti and after Buffalo, we decided that... (laughs) Haiti and Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the the folks in Buffalo listening to this podcast are like, why do we... Why are you getting to lump us in with that? And, and plus, it sounds like she liked Haiti more than us. Um, in some ways. <laughs> this, You know, the sun shines in Haiti. It right. doesn't shine in Buffalo. I did. You know what? In, in the summer. In the summer. I almost, I, I won't say I almost took a job, but I could have had a job in Rochester at one point. Oh. And I, I think I did like a, a it might have been 60 seconds on Google. Yeah. Before I was like, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I remember like the centerpiece of Rochester was like this, almost like this little waterfall in town. It uh-huh. was like, I don't look like it went three feet. And I thought if that's your centerpiece, I'm a pass. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Like West New York is beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. It is such a shame that politics have mm. destroyed any reason that you would want to live in that state. Because <laughs> I mean, I even love, I'm a, I'm because I'm an East Coast girl, I love New York City. Um, I love Boston. Like I love all the cities. I, I I love Philly. Like I love going to those places. I love the culture. I love the environment, the atmosphere. But even but getting to see that portion of New York was even just so cool because it was like you know everybody. You hear New York, you think Manhattan, and it's just. It's breathtaking. When you're driving through the state, you're like, this is lovely. I can see why people would live here, except for that the sun doesn't shine ever. Right, right. right. Are you a few years away from having to go overseas again? So after those two, after Haiti especially, we were like, we're done with the State Department. We don't want to be in this job anymore. We don't like the moving every two years, the lack of community, and the fact that you really are at the mercy of the government and the ambassador and their whims. And so he spent... Uh, basically our entire two years in Buffalo looking for other jobs and found one. And so that's what moved us to Dallas at the end of January. We were like, get us out of here. Mm. We're done. Plus also, you know, all of this was like at the height of COVID mm-hmm. and going through COVID in New York was wretched. So I'm like, I don't care where it is, but I want to get to a red state and at this point, I'm not nearly as picky as I would have been in the past mm-hmm. about where I want to live. So not that da- there's any, no, I'm not knocking wait, Dallas. Wait, what's wrong with Dallas? <laughs> I am a full on coastal girl. So yeah. I was like, don't, I, I love the South. Mm-hmm. I love North Carolina. I love Georgia. Um, oh, then eat- you're going to love Galveston. I mean, that beach is just pristine. Oh <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> No, that's sorry. Sorry, Galveston. Uh oh. No, I mean I like the town. Now but the hate mail. The the beach is just <laughs> Yeah. Well well and that's the thing is, you know, I do I've always enjoyed beaches and stuff, and so that was my motivation for Have you ever lived in Charleston I'm not live. Have you ever been to Charleston, South Carolina? Yes. Okay. we lived there for five years and uh, once you spend more than five minutes there, you're spoiled for life. That's yeah. all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean I I I love it. When I was listening to your grandmother and she's like talking about Savannah and I'm just like, I miss Savannah. It's one of my favorite places. So that's for me, that was why I wanted to kind of focus our energy and attention on those States. But, Mm -hmm. but you ended up in Texas. Yeah. And I'm good. Yeah. Well, and 
I ended up having a ready-made community here. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you and the the you got like a little posse. Yeah. Uh, you know, like like you uh, like a club. Yeah. On Twitter, don't you? Uh huh. <laughs> a little crew of. Um, Did you want to give anybody a shout out uh, while you're uh, here? There's there's a <laughs> list of them. It would take so much and, time. And you're gonna end up leaving somebody off I accidentally, know. and you're gonna hurt somebody's feelings. So yeah. we'll just... It's like the dwarves. You can't name yeah. them all. Right. Okay. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Okay. So. Tell us about your parents. So they have been married. This year will be their 40th anniversary. Oh, cool. Um, they met and married very young. Um, my mom was 19 when they got married. Um, my dad was 21. And they waited a couple years before they had kids. Um, that's me. That's you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and my mom was born and raised in Delaware. She... In fact, she grew up in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. Um, and then my dad is originally from Western PA, the Pittsburgh area. Um, and then my grandmother didn't want my grandfather working in the mines or steel mills or anything like mm -hmm. that. So um, he took a job with, I want to say like GM or Chrysler or something, and that okay. moved them to Jersey. Oh, wow. And he lived there just outside of Manhattan for until he was about 12. And I think that's when they moved to Delaware and lived in the same neighborhood that my mom lived in. Cool. And that's how they met, so. Y'all just kept moving east as, yep. a, as a family. Yep, Okay. yeah. And then you bucked the trend because you hit the coast and you're like, ah, oh, crap, I can't go any further east. <laughs> I so. know, I've run out, we gotta go west now. <laughs> we'll get back to our conversation with Laura Black in just a moment, but first, let's talk about pain. The team at Dr. Monroe's hear from so many people who have had their lives positively impacted from his products, including a gentleman by the name of Carl, who suffered daily with arthritis in both his hands and his knees. Some days it could take him up to two hours to get fully dressed with his painful joints as he could not handle the buttons on his shirt. That is no way to live. And that's where Dr. Monroe comes in. Dr. Monroe only uses pure hemp-derived CBD, THC-free, but he also uses his 20-plus years of experience and developing FDA-approved tissue repair and regeneration products. Well, after three days, Carl felt the pain start to diminish, and he could move his fingers better. Every day, he saw improvement, and after two weeks, he could dress himself in minutes, and the pain was nearly gone. Not everyone reacts the same way. Most will feel immediate relief. But the point is, even in extreme cases, Dr. Monroe's pain cream can work. These aren't just products, they're solutions. The entire team, they've designed the most effective group of CBD products on the market, and they continue to design new ones. And right now, Dr. Monroe's CBD is proud to announce a partnership with the Child Help Organization. They're thrilled to announce that 20% of every sale at DrMonroe'sCBD.com is going to go toward the initiatives of Child Help, where abused and neglected children are given hope. Please head to DrMonroe'sCBD.com today you have a lot of respect for your parents very you, much your dad um you talked about how he worked so hard to um make sure that you guys were fed basically. yeah because they met and married so young and neither of them have a college education um and then you know accidentally having five children puts a lot of financial pressure <laughs> sure. on a family uh -huh. so and my mom stayed home because she they wanted her to stay home ideologically they believed that, that was the best choice for them but also she couldn't have made enough money probably to offset the cost of childcare. so it just made more sense for her to stay home and and that was kind of an inspiration for you later correct yeah oh yeah definitely i mean i my mom was the the mom of moms uh -huh. she like in spite of the fact that I use a lot of friends references in life. Oh, you have My to. mom's a Monica. She is super <laughs> uh -oh. clean. Oh, uh -uh, yeah. And, but she did stuff that I don't even let my own kids do. Like she would let us play with Play-Doh. I'm like, that stuff is of Satan. Don't bring that in my house. Oh, it makes a mess. The carpet. Thank you. Right. Yes, I hate it. So okay. she just, she always, she was just that very like ideal mother. So do you think that, because you appreciate your mom yeah. and her choice to stay at home mm -hmm. and raise a family. Mm -hmm. Do you think that your kids will appreciate you? I think my kids appreciate, because my wife stayed at home for the longest time before yeah. she ended up getting her master's of divinity and went on to be a pastor. Yeah. But there was a long time where she was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. 
and I know my kids, even if they haven't explicitly said so, they appreciate all of the time that they have. Do you, do you think your kids will get to that point? I I hope so. I mean, it's definitely it's as, a thankless job. Yes, and, and it's it's, it's unique. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. This I society mean, is falling apart at the seams. We need good parents to be available to their children around the clock that's right. where we're at as a society never mind just as a family unit yeah and i think i think especially too just in those early formative years yeah that constant presence is just a comfort also you cannot prepare them enough for the world i can't imagine being a kid right now i know i feel so badly for my kids i know and what awaits them i know i actually it's interesting because i think a lot of a lot of dads especially worry about their daughters, but my husband and I talk a lot. We are very worried for our son. Yeah. Because I just feel like men are under attack right now. That sounds so dramatic, but I just feel like men are under attack. The idea of masculinity, the idea of leadership, the idea of um, pro like protector, provider, mm -hmm. All of these things that we used to value about men and masculinity are things that they're just brushed aside as patriarchal or or toxic or whatever. And I'm like, please give me all of the toxic masculinity. This is the stuff that that protects and preserves societies. It's not that women aren't important because mm -hmm. they are. They are you cannot overstate the value of women and femininity, but to pretend like, oh, we've got this, girls, we don't need the boys anymore, is foolishness. It almost seems like you're referring to roles. <sighs> what? Right? I love this, though. You, you list a, a hobby as Twitter. <laughs> I've never thought of Twitter as a hobby, but I'm probably guilty, too. Yeah. You know, uh, Twitter, well, in fantasy football. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a that's legit. So, yeah. So I mean, those are my. It gets competitive. But that's true about. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, this has been discussed on this podcast before. I'm I'm the commissioner of a league. We've been around since 1999. Oh wow. And I'm the most annoying owner because I'm <laughs> I'm constantly badgering the other owners in the league for trades. In fact, I've I've asked a couple of guys on this very show for trades on, on <laughs> during the interview. So <laughs> uh -oh. no, but so but Twitter is definitely a hobby and and yeah. you definitely do that well. Oh, thanks. Um but you also enjoy reading. Yes. You recently read a book called Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, yeah. What's that about? So I mean I didn't even bother to google it. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. I mean, it's been out fiction? Uh yes. Okay. It's been out for a couple of years now, but I it very quickly became my favorite read, and so I've gone back to it several times since then. Okay. Um, I actually, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I mm. oh, it good. Was, this this makes for a good <laughs> at the mic story. Then whenever they start by, okay, this is so embarrassing, but here's the thing. So every now and then, <laughs> I will watch clips of The View to see wow, what it already is very embarrassing. I know to see what everybody's <laughs> screaming, bancheeing about, uh -huh. and so. But it was a it was a summer reading segment that they did, and Megan McCain recommended this book. And the way she described it, I was like, "Oh, this actually hmm. sounds really interesting." So I picked it up and almost immediately was hooked because the author, she pre this was her first work of fiction. Prior to that, she had only ever done like nature writing, and huh. um, so that came That's, through. It's an interesting leap. It was such and but. The story that she told, it was like, woman, you were made for this. Oh, wow. Because the story was so beautiful and it was so well written. There was like a little bit of mystery and, of course, romance. But then also just the overwhelming. For me, it seemed like a love story to North Carolina and like the mm. marshland and stuff. Because oh, okay. the way that she wrote about it and described it, it was you could feel and smell where you were. Oh, wait. And it was just really beautifully like done. marshlands and stuff? Yeah. Because that stinks. Sometimes. I don't like that smell. Sometimes, but not low, always. At low tide? Yeah. No, thank you. Oh, yeah, that is. That can so, be rough. <laughs> okay, so the book was written during high tide. We'll just say for that's, the record. That's okay. what we'll pretend. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Is there going to be room for a follow-up book on that, or what do you think? I 
I just want her to keep yeah. writing fiction okay. because she's so good at it. So I, I, every now and then, I haven't done it recently, but every now and then I'll Google her and see if she's working on yeah. something else just because I'm like, you've got to keep doing this. Like okay. she's so good. You list crab legs and hush puppies as your favorite comfort food. <sighs> Do you spend a lot of time at the Red Lobster then? Oh, no. That's not real. <laughs> that is fake seafood. I will die on this hill. <laughs> uh, so where, where, where does one go to get good crab legs and hush puppies? Um, anywhere on the East Coast. Oh. Well, that's not entirely true. Um, lots of good places. It doesn't help me nor you, considering we're both... We we're trapped. In, we live in Dallas. M my husband has a rule. You don't eat seafood unless you can see the sea. And I <laughs> I live my life by that. Cause, because it has never steered me wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking... <laughs> I will never eat seafood again. Then apparently, since nope, I never don't do get, it. I don't get to the ocean. Get much. you a coastal town, and then you can get some seafood. Uh, don't don't Jesse Kelly all over this and eat Red Lobster. That is garbage. Wait, is that does Jesse Kelly like Red Lobster? Yes, he's always oh. tweeting about it. Oh really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Okay, she skipped that one on the list, so we'll keep moving. <laughs> I I literally so I just got glasses. Oh, and I'm not welcome used to, to the club. It sucks. And they're by like they 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 set me up with these try the progressive lenses. Oh, okay. And it was like I literally thought I was buzzed every day because <laughs> I couldn't tell you know okay wait my eyes going that way no yeah. it needs to go this way oh dear heavens so I took them back and they gave me bifocals. I mean I'm rolling Ben Franklin style now <laughs> and it's like that that I knew the line was gonna be there yeah but it's never where I want it to be yeah. And so, and then, so I can see really far or really close. And then there's this in between, like where I'm sitting now with right. my laptop and my, my printed up notes here. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, should I push it out further to read it? Do I need to pull it closer? Oh, now I got to move my Right, eye. now you're doing the grandpa thing. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I can't stand it. I'm not used to these things. I, so I don't even know what the heck I was going to ask you. Uh, <laughs> this is where the podcast should be on YouTube. Well, there should be a camera in here so everyone could just see me tilting my head up, tilting my head down. There <laughs> heavens, I can't decide. It would be most entertaining. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let me see here if I can read my handwriting now. <laughs> I took some notes here. Now that's a problem. I couldn't read my handwriting if I had 20-20 vision. Mm. Ask Pat, who I write, I scribble <laughs> notes on uh, the prep over there. Let's see here. Uh, hang on. <laughs> Hold on. I'll, I'll get right. I'll be right back with you there, Laura. Just, uh, I don't know, watch TV over there with uh, while, I, while I read through these. <laughs> No, so if you could go back in history, I love this answer. Oh, yeah. Patrick Henry, huh? Tell, yeah. Tell me why. Well, so I'm a big fan of liberty. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the benefits, I guess, of homeschooling my son was kind of getting to delve a little bit more into American history. I mean, my dad is a big history buff. So, nice. I mean, like most kids went to, I don't know, like the beach and amusement parks and stuff. And my dad drug us around to like Civil War battlefields and stuff like that. So um, not that I didn't enjoy it, Dad. I love you. Um, <laughs> but so I, you know, you're raised in that environment. My dad's like, you know, just he loves this country and he's a big fan of, you know, some of the founding fathers. And so hmm. um, when I read and studied a little bit more about Patrick Henry, you start to realize like a lot of the, a lot of the, the liberty that we enjoyed um, was a result of him and his philosophy of... Oh, catch that past tense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just his ideology was what pushed forward the idea that, no, these these things are not given to us by the government. They are supposed to be protected by the government. Right, that's the rule. They're inalienable. They're not given to you. You cannot take them away or you should not be able to take them away. And his yeah. philosophy on liberty, I would just love to meet him and talk to him and find out what prompted a lot of his movement to push for those kinds of things. Because, I mean, he would have totally retweeted your 2020. I right? hope so. You know, I often think of the founders in the context of a Twitter and social media. I think Ben Franklin would be a boss. Oh, yeah. Okay, think of how many tweets of his would be retweeted by intelligent people. Yeah. Patrick Henry would, like, he would, he would probably rant tweet 
Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. Well, Tom- he's rolling in his grave right now. Oh, yeah. Thomas Jefferson, he wouldn't tweet often, but when he did, it would be like a thread. Yeah. It would just go on and on and on. You're like, all right, we got it, TJ. We got a 25 post thread here. But how do you think that they, because between this conversation that we're having now and yeah. when it does get posted in the not too distant future, governments don't rest. No. Okay. What What is going to happen between now and then? And this is not a political podcast per se, but I, I'm just fascinated by this because you bring up so many. I, I mean, let's go back to the original tweet that that led me to having you on this podcast and, yeah. and knowing who you were. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where it all started. So you can speak to this. How do you think the founding fathers, if they were alive today, what would they be doing in 2021 America, do you think? I mean, would they be arrested? I think a lot of a lot of conservatives who toe this line of of, you know, just comply or just and it's like, no, the whole idea behind America is noncompliance. Mm-hmm. It's we don't have a king. We don't have a ruler. We govern ourselves. And I have seen so much talk from conservatives also in the last year and a half that's like leaning toward just do this just you know get on board where this is all for you know we're in this together and <laughs> reminder 15 days to flatten the curve right and it's but it's not even just that it, it's it's that you can't have conversations about police you can't have no. conversations There's, about war you can't have conversations about sports no no, no. nothing is free of politics in our society and no. that is enough to drive anyone insane it's true and that's like you know, for me, I'm on Twitter because I enjoy the political discourse and finding my crew of people who who kind of view the world a little bit more broadly than just I'm team conservative or I'm team lefty or whatever. It's mm-hmm. you just kind of pull different ideas from different places. But no, I mean, and the, the divisiveness that we have seen uh, sowed by the government um, especially in the last year, has been frustrating and disheartening. And uh, I mean, I, don't, I can't even think of another adjective, but um, it's... It's not like comedy. No. You, don't, you don't need a rule of three there to, to make your point. I totally yes. got it. I, Thanks. I two, and, two was plenty. And you're terrified, if you're like me, for your kids, yeah. like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Like you said, it's it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, just going back to your question about like the founding fathers... Yeah. I think I think modern day conservatives and modern day leftists would equally be pissed at them mm-hmm. because you see people people who are advocates for liberty have been you don't care about grandma and you want people to die and and it's like no you're missing the point of this the point of this is that the government should not be compelling behavior not to this extent when, when you're talking about wearing masks and, and, and telling businesses that they have to shut down, they have to close their doors and risk everything without any kind of uh, um, uh, um, consequences for the people who made these rules and implemented these regulations. It's so frustrating and so disheartening. And, and people on both sides of the aisle politically have been okay with it. You know, one phrase you never hear anymore. Mm-hmm. is that could never happen in America. Yeah. When's the last time you heard that? I mean, seriously, like, think of the things that we've gone through and think that if five years ago someone described the scene in America in 2021, you would have said, nah, that can't happen in America. Yeah. No one says that anymore. No. Anything is possible. Yeah, well, after um, a celebrity becomes president, <laughs> it sort of eliminates all other disbelief in what is a possibility. I mean, you know. So I want to ask you, because you listed one of your regrets was not going to college. Yeah. For real? So. It doesn't seem like you would be the kind of person who would get much out of college. Am I wrong? Well, so I'm definitely, if you pay attention to my Twitter at all, I'm super critical of college in the current era. Mm-hmm. I don't want my kids going I, unless they want to be a doctor. Like if you, if you actually sure. need to learn that's where I am a valuable right 
college-worthy skill. Even if you're my kid, I don't want you operating on me without an education. Thank you. But at the same time, I am not willing to spend money no. to unravel 18 years of helping my kids understand the value of freedom. Right. And, and all that I have taught them in the way of liberty and who the founding fathers were and why our system of government is superior to the rest of the world. Yeah. I, I'm not willing to go into debt so that that lifetime of work can be unraveled in four years. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's just like a, I loved school and I loved learning. And I think there are aspects of going to college and sitting in on different lectures, especially like I, I probably would have gone for something that would have mounted up debt for me so high mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have been able to undo it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you would have gone to the government and said, please pay off my loan. Oh, for sure. Right? Isn't that the thing to do now? That's exactly how I was raised. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to keep learning about things that I really loved, like English and history and stuff like that. So that is where my regret <clears throat> lies. Also, I don't know if you know this, but in our country, college is taken very, very seriously. And so if you don't have a college education, therefore you are unintelligent. So it's very frustrating to feel like, and this has happened to me, where you're treated like, mm, does she really know what she's talking about? Because she doesn't have a degree in something useless. Right. So it's that kind of, well, and also not everybody, obviously, but some of the educated in this country are incredibly condescending mm -hmm. and have this elitist mentality that they have to be smarter than you by virtue of the fact that they spent $100,000 on a useless education. So it's that kind of stuff. I don't know if you can hear my bitterness coming through, mm -hmm. but it's that kind of stuff that I've encountered that's made me be like, all right, well, fine. I have a bachelor's degree in so-and-so or in such-and-such. And so that's why I'm allowed to have this conversation with you because I know just as much as you do because I sat in on whatever lecture at whatever college hall or whatever you know what i mean it's right, just right. no and i think i think in my case because i'm in broadcasting and it probably opened up the first door sure right you know, oh yeah I, I, and then after that you prove yourself exactly and and i'm so sick and tired of this is what i can't stand a lot of people will say i don't know anybody you know it's who you know mm -hmm. and it's just a bitter cop out mm -hmm. okay well that's true however if all of the people that I've made impressions on throughout my career, living around the country, going to working at different radio stations, yeah, I would have known a lot of people. But if I stunk at my job or right. I made a terrible impression, that it would have the opposite effect. Yeah. So yes, my contacts have made a big difference along the line. I won't lie about that. But those contacts would have served the exact opposite purpose if I'd been a terrible person or a bad employee along the line. But I do think that as far as college educations go especially in a field like this where it is hands-on yeah. with whether it's uh, a technical skill, keeping a show on the air, editing promos, anything like that, doing research. I think that maybe it opens a college education, opens that first door. But yep. then after that, man, it's on you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is it's I'm I am very supportive of education that is centered and focused around the field that you want to go into. So I don't broad brush the idea of of college as a as a bad thing right. it's just you better know walking in yeah yeah what you want to do or else you're wasting your time yeah and that's why i didn't also because i mean my parents couldn't afford to pay for my college and i was going to have to do that and i didn't know what i wanted to do and i was like i'm not going to go in here and just lollygag around for four years not knowing what i want to do with myself and just be like well i'm learning english and history and like <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to turn that into something. No, you're not. You're not going to turn that into something, you know. So um, it, it wasn't it wasn't like I didn't have the support of my, you know, my dad's like, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do anything that you want to do. And right. it was just like, OK, but also I don't want to have all of this debt and I don't want to waste my time and energy because I I'm 36 and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. It's one of those things where you're just like it is the smarter thing for me to choose to just kind of enter the workforce and mm -hmm. figure things out from there. And I, I will say it was, it was a fun experience of mine at the university of Nebraska, where I learned on editing software that was created in Ogallala, Nebraska. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> I, I hated it. And I thought, okay, I just got to learn this, get through school and make everybody happy. Look, I can edit on this thing. And then I moved to Atlanta 
and they were using the same software. And I thought two things. I thought, wow, I guess I really did need to learn this. And the other thought was, why are they using this software? I can't stand it. <laughs> Moved to Houston, same software no. followed me there. And then I think it might've been, gosh, it feels like I was still using it in Omaha. Like 10 years later, I was still using that same software oh that God. was invented, that, that was created in far western Nebraska that followed me everywhere. So as I sit here and I think through my college experience, I thought, okay, well, all right. That was, there was worthwhile. That, yeah, I guess so. I guess yeah. I need to learn that. But, but generally speaking, you're absolutely right. If it's not specific to your field, all you're doing there is you're a sitting duck for Marxist professors. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that's the thing is it's it used to be this, you know, place where ideas were discussed and they were all oh, no. now different. They're, now they're safe spaces. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, no, knowledge is not safe. Knowledge is powerful. And the more you acquire, the more dangerous you are mm -hmm. in 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 so far as you can no longer be controlled. Um, and I think that that is kind of the shift that you're seeing is, yeah. you know, elites want to control mm -hmm. the population and it it makes for a really stunted education. You've got your phone there. Yes. You want to tell us what's in your Amazon cart right now? Oh, gosh. Share with the rest of us and um, see what's I in wasn't there. kidding. Probably groceries. Yeah. Well, okay, listen. Whole Foods delivery has changed my life. Oh, yeah? Yes. That's a good thing? Yes. Are people using that? I, uh, felt, I felt like they weren't, and now maybe they are? All the time. Wow. Because it's one less store that I have to go to. Mm -hmm. Literally. Yeah. Who was I talking to recently? Oh, okay. Uh, Ready? Uh, yeah. Egg bites and eggs. Are those like fake eggs? Um, Faux eggs? Well, no. Have you ever gotten the egg bites from Starbucks? They're they're made in like a sous vide or something. <laughs> Look at me. They're fan Listen. Do you, do you think I go to the Starbucks? Change your life. Go to Starbucks and get you the bacon Gruyere egg bites. They're delicious. I'll try. It. I'll try. And they're it on like your keto friendly. I'll yeah. Try. Because see, the, I used to. Um, uh, it's. That's such a long backstory. But I used to have to go by a Starbucks every day. It was on the right-hand side, okay? Mm -hmm. And I would stop in there because I got hooked. Yeah. I got hooked on the daggum uh, danishes. The <sighs> They're cheese. so good. And and me and the folks behind the counter there, were like, I, I had them trained where they knew, put it in the warmer for 12 seconds. <laughs> not 10 seconds, not 15 seconds. 12 seconds. Uh -huh. Oh, crap. It's that jerk that's uh, <laughs> here again for the Danish. And then they act like they like you. So you'll give them a big tip. And anyway, they, do. they so, like you. But I, I've literally not tried anything at Starbucks beyond the cheese Danish. But you're telling me I should go in there and say, I need to try your egg bites? Yeah, yeah. The bacon Gruyere. I mean, they're my favorite. They they make a couple. You said bacon. So now I'm now well, right. I'm listening. You can't argue with bacon. No, okay. But, but they also, like, they make little protein boxes that have good little snacky foods okay, in but, there. But hang on a second. <laughs> because I hate standing in line at a Starbucks and feeling like I'm the only person within 20 miles not in the club. Like, I don't know. I'm standing there. I'm like, okay, I'll have a... The hell, the large. What's the large one? Which you is said, that? Both of my parents are like, "Sis, get up there, what? order for us." Yeah. And then, and then they'll say, and I like. I remember there was a time when I had my wife write down what I like, so I kept it in my wallet. Okay. And so then I felt I'm standing in line, I'm looking at the cheat sheet, and I don't know where this thing got off to, and I certainly don't remember what was on it. <laughs> Something about macchiato or something. Oh yeah, know. probably a caramel, caramel macchiato. macchiato. Everyone likes that. No it's whip, classic. no whip light. I, I, I see. I don't even remember. I'm having flashbacks, of, like panic attacks, and I remember just standing there, like, okay, so I can see how I can do this. And then you get up there, and then you're like, oh crap! And you're like, all right, I'll look at the card now that I kept in my wallet because I, I don't thought know who I, was I am anymore. Right, right. So help me. Yeah, yeah. I have pen. Uh huh. I have. I live by the post-it note. Uh huh. Tell me specifically what I should say so it makes it seem like I know what I'm doing when I go to order this bacon egg thingy. You literally just say the bacon Gruyere egg bites. Gruyere is a style of cheese. Gruyere? Yeah, G-R. Gonna... Hold on. This oh, is... man. G-R-U-Y-E-R-E, -E, I think. Oh, no. Now it's going to be, I'm going to stand it's in line. It's good cheese, I'm Keith. not going to remember this conversation, like how you pronounce it. And I'm going to get it and I'm going to go, can I have the bacon Gruyere? Gruyere? Yep. Er, Gruyere? Starbucks is used to this. Nobody knows how to order there. Bacon. It's a secret club. Yeah, it is. And I but also get their cold brew because it's the best cold brew. 
I swear by it. No. Yep. No. <laughs> APR Coffee is the uh, sponsor uh, uh. of this program, uh, American <laughs> Pride Roasters Coffee. Go to APRCoffee.com. Use offer code ATM. Stands for at the mic, and it'll give you a... Uh, well, I don't even know what promotion they're doing this month because I don't know when this is going to post yet. So <laughs> just go there and enter it in and see what they send you. Um, okay, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to answer. Well, first of all, before I forget, uh, at Fancy This on yeah. Twitter. Yep. That's really, that's where you are. Twitter, at Fancy This. Yeah. Anywhere else? Okay. Um, but uh, here's a question that, that we skipped in the email. Laura, mm. I'm sorry to tell you this. but I'm uh, scared. Yeah, so I'm just going to give you one last chance. All right. Uh, most embarrassing moment. She responds, I have two and neither are discussable. LOL. <laughs> so do you want to discuss them or are we done today? Um, we should probably keep those a secret. <laughs> well, I want to thank my guest, Laura Black, for joining us here today on At The Mic. Have we covered everything else then? Yep. Okay, cool. At Fancy This on Twitter. Thanks so much for stopping by. Yeah, thank you. It was great getting to know Laura. I hope you enjoyed our time together today. And if you do get a chance, please be sure to head over to atthemikeshow.com and, and share what we do here with any friends you may know who want to be a part of fun conversations as we try to bring some calmer times to this crazy world. Next week, I'm going to sit down with Kate Hyde, another friend I want you to meet here on At The Mike. Someone who injured herself in a way that I thought only I was capable of doing. And that's next week on this podcast. If you're hearing today's show, the head of America's Independence Day, I hope, as always, that you'll go be free. And thanks for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Hey, did you know there's At The Mike Show merchandise now? That's right. Look for the shop button at the very top of atthemikeshow.com. Or make it easy on yourself. Head to at the mic shop dot com.